Well, I invite you all to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, which is found towards the back of the New Testament. It's after Matthew, Mark, and Luke, after Acts and Romans, but before you get to Hebrews, and we're going to look at some verses there, a few of which we've already touched on this morning during our call to confession and our time of assurance. And if you need one, there's a pew Bible on the end of the pew that might be uh, helpful for you that you can use to track down those uh, verses. We are today beginning a seven-week series that I'm excited about for our fall time here for the next uh, month and a half, two months, looking at transforming principles for life in God's grace, transforming principles for living in God's grace. And We're doing this in a little bit of a more topical fashion uh, because these are sort of core values that we believe should mark each one of our lives. They're coming from the scriptures, as we'll see each week, and also really should shape the life of our church body corporately. And so we'll diverge a little bit from our usual pathway of walking through systematically a book of Scripture and and going piece by piece through the verses because we think it's important to touch on these key transforming principles this fall and sort of pick them apart, lay them out for us to see with uh, great clarity. As I said, we've already looked at the verses for today a little bit in our time of assurance and confession of faith. We'll see as we turn to this passage, though, it's filled with both bad news and great news. The bad news of our broken condition and need of a Savior. The great news of what Jesus has done to remedy that and the beauty and majesty of it. So I invite you to stand with me. We just stand in recognition of God's truth, its power, its honor, its supremacy. And I'll read aloud as you all follow along silently, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own working. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them you may be seated and as you do let me pray once again father we ask specifically for this time now as we look at this passage of scripture what a deep passage of scripture a powerful one 
one that just in and of these ten verses would promise to transform our lives as we understand it, embrace it, and believe it. We pray that you do that work in our hearts and lives and minds that you desire today through your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I've probably mentioned before the movie Door to Door. It's uh, not one for the kiddos necessarily, but tells the fascinating true story of Bill Porter, a man who suffered tremendous physical limitations from birth. Essentially, the left side of his entire body was dead. His arm was wrenched into a position sort of stuck like this permanently. His left leg would essentially drag behind him, causing him pain and, of course, making his walking uh, very difficult. The left side of his face was also affected to where it had no movement and therefore called, caused slurring of speech and just a sort of awkward facial expression. Born in 1932, Porter's parents decided that he should go ahead and attend a regular public school system on through rather than a system of special schools in his case. And then, though, when he got out, he had to find a job. And where would he be able to find a place to work with such limitations? His parents, though, in a sense, raised him up with their gracious love. The movie shows just his mom involved, but in fact his mom and dad were both in the family growing up and poured into him. Eventually he applied to the Watkins door-to-door cleaning and other supplies company. An interesting choice on the surface for a guy who struggled just to walk around to begin to walk those Portland neighborhoods door-to-door. And they gave him the route that no one else would take because of the neighborhood and because of the type of walking involved and getting around that community. And he took it. And as the story tells, although initially his sort of outward condition kind of frightened other folks, he ended up having great success. Eventually, in just over a year, he became one of their top salesmen And after a while, had to hire an entire team of folks to work under him to handle all the sales that he was bringing in. As the movie depicts the kindness and love shown to him by his parents, not only transformed him and raised him up, but allowed him to be a vessel to work among that neighborhood as he got to know year in, year out, walking each day, each month, door to door, and getting to know personally the families in this community. Well, the verses we're looking at today in Ephesians depict a, a sort of similar picture for us of the change that can happen in our lives by the gracious love of our heavenly parent, our heavenly father, who as he pours into us and shows us his grace can 
raise us up, who, as this passage says, are dead, spiritually speaking, and allow us not only to have a new kind of existence now in this life, but on in to eternity. If you want to follow along in your worship guide, you can. There's a section for notes at the back pages of the worship guide. And really what I hope for us to see from this Ephesians passage is this main idea. That God's grace can raise us to new life. And so we should receive it through faith in Christ. But we struggle to take this in, don't we? We struggle, first of all, to really buy into what the Bible says about our standing by nature, our broken, sinful condition, that we're actually dead, that we need rescue, that we're trapped, that we're condemned outside of the work of Christ. That's not an easy message for anyone to receive, and certainly in our day and time, not a popular one. So that's a struggle. And if we don't see that, our situation by nature, then it's hard to really see the the beauty, the majesty, the magnitude of our standing by grace in what Christ has done for us. Or maybe we're here and we don't really have a problem seeing our need of grace and our problem because of our sin condition. We know it all too well right in front of us. Every day, and, and our struggle is buying into the fact that God can actually do something about it, that He can reconcile us to Him, that we can experience love and joy. Or maybe we got all this, at least in our mind, and we're beginning to work it out, but we know we sort of default back to figuring out how to get into a good relationship with God by our performance, by our obedience, rather than by His grace, and mercy. So let's take a look at what Ephesians has to say about this in our verses for today. If you look with me at chapter 2 again at verses 1, 2, and I guess we'll go ahead and read 3. And we're going to spend a little time going through the bad news. So you have to walk through that with me, and then we'll get to the great news. It tells us again that we're dead in our trespasses and sins uh, naturally outside of the work of Christ. And once we walked... Following the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, among whom we also lived in the passions of our flesh, the desires of our body, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Strong statement, isn't it? To say that we're dead, spiritually speaking. The scriptures tell us this, and it Reminds me of a time a few years ago, and I've probably shared about this before, goodness, probably seven or eight years ago now, when I had the opportunity on a couple of occasions to go to one of Alabama's uh, full security prison for some of the hardest, hardenest criminals in the state. And uh, we went there to do ministry and so forth and share the gospel. And before you get the slightest inkling, if you would dare to do so, uh, to think that this was a noble gesture on my part, I went reluctantly, I can say. There was an older gentleman in the church I was serving at the time. His wife was actually wrestling with cancer, which was a full enough responsibility for, for anybody to help care for and tend to her. And yet he decided to take on an additionally going several days a week 
into this prison and leading all different kinds of Bible studies. And he would corral me and kind of insist that I would go. So I decided to go. And I will tell you, the night before the first time I went was one of the most restless nights I've ever had. I got very little sleep, was up all night thinking about it. And, and ladies, if you don't understand what I'm saying, that's, that's a man speak for I was terrified of going into this place. And it didn't get any better when you showed up on the scene and they had you sign some paperwork that essentially said, if anything happened to you while you were in there, all kinds of physical harm or death, they weren't responsible. Sign right here. Date it, please. And then leave all of your possessions at the front so you have nothing to identify you. And we walked through this tunnel that was made out of, I don't know, maybe a foot-thick plexiglass with 25 feet uh, on each side piled up razor wire in a huge humming noise. All you Alabama power guys, they are keeping you in business there with the electricity flowing through that fence. And you could hear it. And then you got through the open part, and you just like in the movies, could see those guards up on there you know, with their rifles ready to deal with whatever. And I was glad I was going in and not trying to run out. We got inside, and everything got kind of laid back, interestingly enough. They had one of the prisoners, and then I guess there was a guard with us, and we had a group of seven or eight folks with us. It wasn't just me walking along, and we sort of got casual walking through the hallways for a minute back to the place where we were going to meet with a group of folks and share and so forth. And then all of a sudden, a buzzer, a siren started going off in the place. And immediately they corralled our whole group over to the side of this one hallway, and I started to get really nervous. And then I looked down the hallway. And saw it coming out of one of the doors, a man who had four or five guards assigned just to him. Handcuffs here, handcuffs on the feet and a chain connecting the two. And one of the guards right near us leaned over and said, he's not going to live much longer. He's headed to his final meal. We're looking at a dead man walking. And it was a sobering thing just to experience in general. But I thought about it as I looked at this passage today and was reminded that although we, in and of our natural condition, don't walk around with the sort of orange jumpsuits or handcuffs on our feet and on our hands, we're spiritually speaking just like that guy was, dead men and women, children and youth, walking, who need the work of Jesus Christ, need to be raised up to newness of life. The Apostle Paul says that's our natural condition because of our brokenness. Not only that, though, he says that we're actually trapped in this, and we're trapped kind of in this situation where the world, the flesh, and the devil, these three things kind of corral us at all times as well. The Apostle Paul talks about that in verse 2. You see, it talks about following the course of the world and the power of the prince of the air. And then in verse uh, 3, it says the passions of our flesh. These three things are circulating around us and keeping us outside of the work of Christ from really experiencing God's grace and mercy. It's the reason we need His love and grace. C.S. Lewis talked particularly, and he's popular again these days because of the Chronicles of Narnia movies, the Dawn Treader and the uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. 
He said specifically about this prince of the power of the air. Who's that talking about? He's talking about the evil one. Not only we've got this condition of death that's kind of inside of us because of sin, but there's an evil one in the world. And C.S. Lewis said this about that evil one. He said, humanity has usually gone through one of two errors, either becoming overly fascinating, fascinated and engaged with the evil one and his practices, or thinking that somehow he's not around anymore and not causing anything to happen in the world or in our lives. How else, though, can we understand the Nazi death chambers, news feeds from around the world of death and struggle and war. How else can we understand the own tensions that we feel sometimes in our marriage relationships, in our struggles with parenting, in our challenges, in fact, to lead the Christian life and walk in the way that God calls us to? There's some forces arrayed against us, to be sure. It's interesting, in uh, World War II, the Allied troops, when they had come through the D-Day events and fought their way into France and so forth, they uh, felt like at that point, their commanders and the troops, that, hey, we had we kind of gotten to where we need to, and probably the rest of this thing, it's, it's going to be a struggle, but we've kind of gotten over the most difficult part of it. And so one thing they did is because they only had so many troops, they sent some into this area of forest, the Ardennes. And they put troops there that had already been kind of worn down and weary. They'd already been fighting quite a bit. And they spaced them out a good bit, and they put them there because there was a lot of snow uh, and there was, you know, tree cover and so forth. And they figured this is going to be a place where things would be safe There's probably not going to be much of an attack. Let's put some folks there let them recoup. If you know anything about the Battle of the Bulge, you know that that was exactly where those German forces gathered, unknown to any observation around them, and began to fight and push back and nearly overwhelm the entire Allied lines until they were eventually able to regroup. And I thought about that with these sort of forces that are arrayed against us a bit. This uh, last part, if you will, of the bad news. And that is that just like we uh, live in this world and are sort of clouded in our understanding by a world that has structures and systems and cultures that aren't always pursuing the Lord and His kingdom, those folks were stuck in a forest and under a a blanket of snow. And just like we as believers, because of our flesh and our weakness, are uh, struggling and weighed down in our pursuit of the gospel, so, so true were those troops as well. And just like we forget that there's an evil one out there that can really cause damage to us, they had forgotten that those forces could still cause great harm. That's the bad news. What's the good news? The great news is this. And I invite you to turn with me in Ephesians again. This little turn of phrase, these two little words, some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture at the beginning of verse 4, where it says, but God, but God, 
but God being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. What does this tell us? That although we are by nature objects of wrath, we can become objects of God's precious mercy. Though that we're by nature dead and unable to be rescued in and of our own ability, God can rescue us and raise us up. And that although we would be trapped and stuck in our patterns and behaviors of sin, Jesus can come and free us, can come and rescue us. What a beautiful message. How does he do this? It's just interesting to see. It says that he raises us up with him. Look with me in verse 5 again. He made us alive together with Christ. Verse 6, raises us up, seated us with him. All these things with Christ. What is it telling us? It's telling us this beautiful reality that if we receive Jesus, put our trust in him, turn to him for life and hope, that we are affixed to him. We're Velcroed. We're attached. We're glued. We're stuck at the hip. And that whatever is true of Jesus is now true of us. That's great news. We don't have to be afraid to admit all the bad news and that this all this stuff in verses 1 to 3 is true of us because we know that someone is taking care of it. The Lord Jesus, who we are attached to, united to, through Christ, through, through the work of the Holy Spirit. Not only that, but he gives us a power for a newness of life. We said earlier, one of the things that would be tough for us is to say, well, can I really get out of this situation? Do I really believe God can do something in my life to change the trajectory of things for us, for you and me? Verse 10 in Ephesians says, we are his workmanship. He's working on us. He's building us. He's reconstructing who you and I are so that, as it says, we can be created in Christ Jesus for good works that he's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Isn't that a fantastic thing? That each day you and I have things that God's prepared in advance for us to do for his glory, and we can do that because of his rescue, because of his power. Well, in conclusion, how does all of this happen? How does it take place? What's what's the magic formula for it? Look with me at verses 8 and 9. It says, for by grace you've been saved. Grace is a word that means God's unmerited favor. It means that he gives it to us as a gift. That's what the word means. But the Apostle Paul knows how hard it is for us to buy that, that we could really get all of this stuff just free of charge, just from God's kindness. And so he hammers away, smacks us over the head with a two-by-four in about five different ways. He says we've been saved, and it's not of our own doing. You and I can't bring it about by our own power. It's a gift of God. In case we didn't get what grace was, he reminds us again, it's a gift of God. It's not the result of works. 
You and I can't secure it, however good we might try to be. We try to be good because of God's grace, not in order to get it, so that no one may boast. Why can't we boast? Can't boast because Christ is the one who's doing it in us. One of the Puritan prayers that I love, taken from a book of Valley of Vision that I've probably read at some point in the past to you all, is about this whole action of Jesus raising us up and, if you will, putting on us a new garment. And it's got a little bit of verbiage that's maybe somewhat antiquated, but it's really, really powerful if we'll receive it. And it just says this. It may be in your worship guide. I don't know. I'm always standing clothed in filthy garments, in filthy clothing. And by grace, I'm always receiving change of raiment, change of wardrobe. Every morning, let me wear it. Every evening, let me return in it. Go out to the day's work in it. Be married in it. Be wound in death in it. Stand before the great judgment throne in it. Enter heaven shining like the sun. Grant me never to lose sight of the exceeding sinfulness of sin, the exceeding righteousness of salvation, the exceeding glory of Christ, the exceeding beauty of holiness, and the exceeding wonder of grace. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do pray that prayer for each one of our lives right now. Lord, that you would allow us to rejoice in what you are doing in our lives through your power, through the work of Jesus Christ in this new garment that we can put on, this raising up to new life that we can experience. And for places in our lives where we're just not seeing that, just not feeling it take place, Father, we ask that you would show us and reveal to us that grace and that mercy afresh today. And Lord, for some here who may not have ever had the opportunity to receive that or made the decision to receive that by faith, we pray today that you'd be at work and bring a wave of mercy and grace of saving love into their lives that they might know you and walk with you in this life and into eternity. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.